0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. 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 Do you notice, I hope that our service this morning starts out with a different feel than we have on a typical Sunday. We had one opening hymn, and then everything is pretty much subdued, silent, while we listen to the word of God, no responses, no sung interludes. This is the beginning of a solemn season, a season of repentance, a call to repentance. A couple of notes about the history of Lent and the Lenten fast. Apparently in the first days of the church, It was only a couple of days, like Friday and Saturday of what we call now Holy Week, and uh, the people who were going to be baptized at Easter at the vigil service would fast, and then it became a seven-day fast. A few hundred years later, when Christianity had been officially allowed to practice and then actually became the official religion of the empire with, with mixed results for I'm afraid. But when it became the official religion, there were no longer that many adult baptisms at Holy Week because most everybody became a Christian and their families were baptized. And so it became more an occasion for the whole church, the whole assembly, to have a period of fasting, of penitence. And Given the fact that when there's a mass conversion because the emperor said this is A good thing to do there were probably a lot of people who came in without much instruction and so they probably needed a sentence a period of instruction and preparation to celebrate the resurrection of the lord and so it became a 40-day season with a very strict fast um, even up into my lifetime i can remember when the fast was pretty strict about what you could eat and what you could not eat and so Shrove Tuesday or Mardi Gras kind of got started when they took all the things that you were not allowed to eat during Lent and put them into pancakes and basically get rid of it before it spoils, which is not really a problem for us anymore. The ashes part apparently started about the, the, around 900 A.D. in Germany, so that it spread to Rome a couple of hundred years later. And in those days, once it spreads to Rome, Rome decided to spread it to everybody. So the ashes is a later development, and I don't know much more about the history than that. It is connected to confession of sin. It was somewhat involved in public penance even before that time. Public penance, where there was public sin involved, was a part of the Easter preparation season of Lent back many centuries before that, in fact, one of the gifts of Christianity, which we don't often think about, is that even rulers, even emperors, had to answer to a higher authority and were held to account for their sins. And the most famous case is probably St. Ambrose around 390, confronted the Emperor Theodosius who, in an outburst of temper, which is apparently pretty common with him, He had slaughtered a bunch of people in a town who had rebelled against his Roman garrison. And he appealed to Ambrose for forgiveness, but Ambrose says, we can't do this just quietly. You're not going to use me to cover for what you did. So the emperor came to the church, Ambrose met him at the door, said you can't come in. And the emperor took off his imperial garb and put on sackcloth and ashes. And I don't remember the time period if it was just that season of Lent or it may have been a year before he was then allowed back into the services to receive the sacraments. And apparently in Theodosia's case, it was a sincere repentance. Now there are non-scriptural reasons for fasting that we run into from time to time also. Before we get to the reasons in scripture Penance as reparation to God or as payment for some of sin's punishment. This was a hot topic of the Reformation, right? So Jesus has paid our debt. We don't owe God anything for our sins. And so we do not fast and do other penances to get rid of some sort of punishment or penalty that we still bear. Jesus paid for that. Some people say, well, fasting is good for your health, and maybe it is. But that's not the reason why we want to do it now. So if you need to take care of your health, take care of your health. But that's not what we're about during Lent. Now it can have good consequences, I remember my father gave up smoking for Lent one year and then figured there was no reason to start again. So he, it worked out very well for his health. He just never started smoking again. But the purpose of it is not primarily to improve your health. It's also not penance for penance's sake. There are ritual observances there were in Jesus' day, obviously with the Pharisees. And as he warned in the Gospel, you don't do this to make yourself look good. You don't do this because it's part of what religious people are supposed to do. Uh, It's not a practice of asceticism for its own purposes. As the prophets made very clear, It's the attitude of the heart which God wants. It's not the external observance. Yes, there is a need for self-control, and if some sort of what we call mortifying of the flesh helps you to bring every thought, every desire into subjection of Christ, that's a good thing. But that's not also the point for our Lenten observance. There's a verse from Paul in Colossians 2.23, talking about this type of external penances, even very severe forms of penance, these have an appearance of wisdom in promoting rigor of devotion and self-abasement and severity to the body, but they are of no value in checking the indulgence of the flesh, not in themselves. Now, I don't think we run much risk of that today, I'm not, I don't think I need to warn any of you about excessive fasting and uh, other forms of hair shirts or whatever, it's pretty well out of the way. But Francis of Assisi, for example, who probably did go to excess in some of his fasting and mortification actually apologized to Brother Ass. This is what he called his body. He apologized to his body for having been too severe on it. So there is a balance in all things. In the scriptures, what do we find is the reasons for fasting. Number one reason was probably seeking God's will, or seeking God's direction, or just seeking God. Jesus in the desert fasted 40 days while the Spirit ministered to him as to what his mission was to be, how he was to carry out his mission. Moses and Elijah did the same thing. John the Baptist fasted for years in the desert, waiting for God to give him the signal that he was to begin his ministry. Uh, people since then, and I mentioned Francis of Assisi did very much the same thing when he was seeking direction for his life, when he had decided that uh, being part of the constant fighting for one town against another was not the way to go, and he was seeking direction from God. Jesus told us that we would fast, not while he was with us, but when the bridegroom is gone, then my followers will fast. He didn't exactly say why. He did say they would fast. The second reason we find in scripture is as a sign of repentance. So the prophet Jonah uh, preached to the people of Nineveh, and they repented, and they began they ended upon a fast. Uh, in our reading today, Joel says he's calling us to a fast. So it's associated with repentance for sin. It's also associated with sackcloth and ashes. We still do the ashes symbolically. We don't do the sackcloth. But these were group repentances. The whole town are the people of God being called to repentance. Jesus in today's reading, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, associates fasting with prayer and almsgiving. Now why does he do that? The key point in entering into the fast, I think, is detachment. So we fast to detach ourselves from things that are good for our body and things that we enjoy. We pray, this is detaching ourselves from the usual distractions that we spend our time on, and we give alms as a way of detaching ourselves from material wealth. Now this is not Stoicism, this is not saying material things are bad, this is not Buddhism which wishes to detach itself from all feeling as a way of escaping pain, it's not that. It's the last line of today's Gospel where your heart is, there will your treasure be So sometimes we kind of have to pull our heart away from what we like to eat or what we like to spend our time on or what we like to spend our money on so that we can reestablish where our true treasure is. And once you do that, then you can enjoy and praise God for the many blessings that he has given us, material included. So our call today is to hear from God, detach yourself from a season, perhaps from snacking, perhaps from TV, perhaps from the internet, to devote some time to trying to hear from God. Now, what follows in our service is kind of a litany of repentance. When we do that, listen to it. There may be one which will strike you, that the spirit will strike you, that this is something you need to attend to. Look for that conviction from the Holy Spirit. And then if that is the case, silently confess your sin to the Lord. But beside this personal repentance, there is an important theme which I think is very appropriate for today, and that's communal repentance. You've all heard the verse, I'm sure, from Second Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We are called as God's people. We are the faithful remnant. And part of our calling is to repent on behalf of our people, our church, our country, which has fallen away, which is not following God the way in which it should. We can repent in their name, in the name of the whole body, and we can intercede before God to have mercy and to call to repentance. Recall God's conversation with Abraham as he was telling Abraham that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were to be destroyed. And Abraham interceded with God for the sake of the righteous who might be there and for the sake of the righteous, that God would be merciful and spare them. And he said he would be, but apparently he couldn't find the necessary ten people. The state of ungodliness of our culture and our country, I believe, is partly the fault of the church itself. If the church loses its fervor, if its salt no longer has its flavor, what good is it? And I think this happened a great deal many times in the history of the church, but certainly in our day. If people do not see in the church the presence of God, even the healing miraculous presence at times, the visible change in people's lives, they're not going to stay or they're not going to come. And if they see even worse things, sin within the church, they are going to leave. I think more people have left the church because of the way some pastor spoke to them at the time of a funeral or a wedding, perhaps than in as much as anything else. And so the church needs to repent as well and intercede for the falling away from God of our, in our time and day. So I'd like to revisit Joel's prophecy and listen to it again because he could be talking to us today and the church presents this reading because it is does want us to hear the word of the prophet blow the trumpet in zion sound the alarm on my holy mountain there are plenty of alarms sounding today wake up people let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the lord is coming it is near a day of darkness and gloom A day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful army comes." His vision there is that you look at the hills and they look like they're black, like you were covered by a plague of locusts or something, but it is the armies of your enemies. It sounds a little like a lead-in for the evening news. It could be used for that, don't you think? ISIS, family breakdown, gay marriage the debt bomb, the rule of law disintegrating, pick your favorite ones, you name it, this could be part of the plague which is coming upon us. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping. Do you weep with the victims of the various outrages that take place? With mourning, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness where it is not? Or do you harden your hearts? It's easy to, under this constant bombardment that we have of just hardening our hearts and saying we can't do anything about it. But Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, praises those who mourn and thirst for righteousness. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Perhaps a good word of advice for people who feel recalled to lead a protest against something or other. We've seen many protests in our area in recent months. Some of those have a touch, at least, of repentance about them, of desire for reconciliation and peace, and some of them do not. They're more interested in rending things. Return to the Lord your God. He is the only hope. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is God's description of himself throughout the Old Testament. Gracious, slow to anger, quick to forgive, abounding in love. And he may relent from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. So he would perhaps restore prosperity to the point where we have an abundance to be able to offer grain offerings and drink offerings to the Lord. And as in the time of the temple sacrifices, many of those offerings also then went to those who were in need. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Sanctify means to set apart for God. Sanctify this Lenten fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, the children, even infants at the breast. Everybody, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. So hey, if you're out on a honeymoon, you just got married, come on back. We got a call of repentance here. This is more important. Jewish couples got, I believe it was a week off when they got married, pretty much just the time to get acquainted with each other. But even that must stop at this critical moment when we need to hear the call for repentance. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, them too, us too, let them say, spare your people, O Lord. I saw this once. It was a a group of us where we took part in a outreach to a neighborhood, we knocked on doors, gave out invitations to come to the church, get a free snack, get a drawing for some gifts, and hear the preaching of the gospel. And this particular church was an Episcopal church in uh, close to just south of downtown St. Louis. And the pastor, the woman priest, prayed for the people that we were about to reach out to, and I never heard anyone pray so passionately. It was like Jesus when he wept over Jerusalem. She wept and she prayed for the people in her neighborhood around there. So God may work in strange and mysterious ways. If you're not in favor of the ordination of women, you still just never know how an individual will be used by God. Do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? Should the people of God be invisible? Should the body of Christ be held of no account? It must never be so. There is a Psalm verse, Psalm 137, which was written at the time when the Jews were in captivity in Babylon. And the Psalmist said, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, we can substitute the kingdom of God for Jerusalem because we are part of the new Jerusalem. If we keep silent when we should speak, let the tongue cleave to the roof of our mouth. So in conclusion, Declare a fast to remind you to set the reign of God above your highest joy. Make it your top priority. It's not just about you or me cleaning up ourselves. It's for the whole people, the whole body of Christ. Make it specific so that you know whether you're doing it or not. Do it in secret for your father now and sometimes collaboration or accountability might be called for especially if it's something in the family that the husband or wife want to do together but in general this is in secret this is to our father and then every time you think of it whatever it is eating snacks between meals playing solitaire on my computer that's that's going to be one of my that's going to be part of my fast one a day and you can check me on that um, so accountability might be a good thing. But it's to remind us, when you start to do whatever it was you're used to doing that you're not going to do during Lent, turn your heart to God and pray, intercede for your church, for the Christian people, for your country. When it is over at Easter, present it to the Lord as an offering, that he may bless it, and multiply it in blessings in your life and in the life of our country. Now regarding the ashes, which we're going to distribute momentarily, Jesus said today's gospel, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Is that a conflict? I don't think this one-day witness violates Jesus' teaching about not making a show of your fasting. But if you really feel that way, we'll... some paper towel and help you at the end of the service but the ashes really is a sign to people who will see us today there are people who look for people with ashes on their foreheads on ash wednesday there really are so i would encourage you to wear the ashes wherever you go today and you can wash your face tonight the day of the lord is coming It is a symbolic act of prophecy to the people who see us.